Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. Got a hundred people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Allo Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die. I think it's gone up from that, Chuck. So um, I'm just going to Google thoughts on overdose. And because it's just going crazy how many people are dying. It's just, it's just crazy. It's, yeah. It's, I can't believe that nobody talks about it. Okay, the overdose death rate in, in Ohio, in Middletown, Ohio, um, 100 overdoses in June. This is a tiny little town. He said of those 100, 51 were deaths in June of 2017. 51 people died in Middletown, Ohio last like 1. month. 1.8 a day in Nowheresburg. That's crazy. 1.8, yeah. So, yeah, almost two a day, one and a half, a, for more than one and a half a day in Middletown, Ohio. Like, Chuck, I don't know if I've told you my history of uh, music <laughs> and drug addiction. But I was a drug addict long before there was heroin in Middletown, Ohio. Right. Back right? in the days, you had to earn it. You could not get drugs anywhere than L.A., San Francisco, sometimes Denver. L.A., San Francisco, and sometimes Denver. Right? Chicago, New York, Boston. You couldn't even find heroin in Minneapolis in 1984. Wow. You know, so, so America has really changed when it comes to drugs. They've pulled their act together. Now, here's another thing. Why is, why is mainstream media not talking about the fact of how you couldn't find heroin in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1984, though Mike Mart, our illustrious producer, did find a gal that had some over on the Kentucky side of Cincinnati, Ohio. If anybody could find if it, If anybody could find, find it, it was Mike. Pigs find truffles, Mike Mark <laughs> finds dope. And uh, it was, uh, it, you know, and I remember he brought some back, and I was like, oh, my God, where'd you find it? <laughs> Holy moly, Mike Mark, you're a genius. <laughs> he said, he still is. you got to go over to Kentucky. And I didn't even, because I was living in it, I would just drink the whole time we toured because you couldn't find heroin. And I, I had no idea that Kentucky was just over the river in Cincinnati. I thought he had driven like 500 miles to go to Kentucky. <laughs> he's, he's a geographer, too. <laughs> yeah, so, so I was like, wow, that Mike Mart, he'll go to any lengths to get that stuff. <laughs> Thanks right? for going all the way to Kentucky. But Middletown, Ohio, 51 people died last month. That's nuts. You know, it's, died. It's not let nearly, alone how many people are doing it. It's not nearly as exciting as we you know whatever Trump's doing or whatever is happening politically. That's why it, the, the news or is, Game of Thrones. That's the well, big topic. Game of Thrones. I've is, never watched one second of it. It's actually a good show. Well, I enjoy it. I don't know that if it's a good. I don't know if it's a good show, but I enjoy it. But it didn't dominate my day. It's certainly not newsworthy. It's a television show. No, it's it's all spin, spin, spin. But the the point being that. That heroin is in every hamlet in the United States. It was a drug. And Berg. And Berg. It was a drug only for people like me and Mike to use. It was not designed 
for people that hadn't dedicated their lives to studying it and being very careful with it and dedicating their life and financial resources towards it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, and that's one of my one of my uh, older clients. What I heard from them was, I got a job, I started a family, I bought a house, I did all this before I had my back surgery, before I got addicted. I don't relate to anything these people are talking about. Although their rule that they broke was, they ended up doing heroin because their prescription finally got shut down. Yeah, and- you know, so that's a totally different kind of addict than what you and Mike were and that's my that's my thing is that these drug addicts were created by the American Medical Association I'm just going to go after them because when you say big pharma you know I know what company big pharma it's called Purdue Laboratories they're the ones that's that started all this not big Pharma, not Gilead not necessarily Merck though they're not perfect not Lilly one particular pharmaceutical company Purdue they are the evil empire. They are Darth Vader, right? <laughs> okay. But I don't even care about that because it's just capitalism. It's extreme capitalism. They play the game better than anybody else. Fine. But the doctors are supposed to do no harm. So I hold the American Medical Association, the doctors, every fucking one of them, because they're all in cahoots with each other. They all support each other. You know, like the mafia supports each other. Try, try talking shit about a doctor to a doctor. Oh, I bet. Right? They all stick by each other, like, no matter what. And then, you know, and through the years, my relationship with a friend of mine that's a doctor is like, well, there's some bad eggs. There's some bad eggs. I said, no, the whole fucking thing is fucking broken. Right? Well, wouldn't they be rotten eggs? Isn't that the obvious go-to? Bad <laughs> eggs. I think that's a, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so my thing is, what do we do about it? That's that. I want to help this guy. Well, let me see what his name is. His name. He's a city council member. He seems like a very compassionate guy, or maybe you know, it, it's um, what's his name? His name is Dan Picard, city councilman of Middleton, Ohio, and he's really trying to fight the good fight. He and city manager Doug Atkins. Um, They had a heroin summit in Middletown, Ohio. I think I have friends that went there. That's amazing. So people are fighting the good fight, and and I want to help support them in any way I can. But really, you just got to educate the population. Like, you people don't know what the fuck you're doing. You know? Um, You don't know. You can't mix benzos and fucking heroin. Are you kidding me? Top Jimmy taught me that. (laughs) <laughs> if anybody knows who Top Jimmy is, he was not a pharmaceutical representative, nor was he a doctor, nor did he have a rehab center. He was a junkie, and he fucking taught me that. Don't mix benzos and heroin, right? So I believe it's up to all us junkies to educate the junkies. Fuck mm. all the rehabs and all that stuff. Go direct to consumer, junkie to junkie. Don't do it, dude. I don't want you to die. Like, you're probably two years away from fucking having a golden life. You know, the, 
the, the I'd never say like two months away. <laughs> no, you know, but that that's funny because if you had asked, I've told your own your own son. Yeah, you're like two three years away from like really having a good life, <laughs> and he's like, you know, and he was written told by every rehab in, in Southern California, like you're just a couple weeks away from a million dollar job. <laughs> Thirty days to <laughs> blast off. Yeah. yeah. No, the, that's funny because if you would have told me a year ago you're going to be talking to people about how they just keep their kids alive. I would have said, no, that's bullshit, because I've never, I've never been a harm reduction or a, I've never gone down that road, but that's absolutely the conversation I've been having with adults. Like, if you know your kid's using, you better have Narcan in the house. Why yeah. wouldn't you? I, Why wouldn't I, you? I try to stay out of the conversations, because kids nowadays want to nail you down, right? So, though I agree, and I'm going to say this right here, I would much rather them switch from heroin and benzos to marijuana. I don't think they can. Oh, that, it's, that's, no, that, it's not the but, same. But, yeah. but that's not up to me. If they can do it, then they should do it. And, and just cast aside your 20s because you're just going to be stoned and doing nothing. You know, and that's, that's uh, that again, is another that's point. that's better than dying at 22. If, if you would have asked me a year ago, I would have said no way marijuana is no better but now i almost hope you hope that I they ho- could do it i, I almost hope, hope they that could do all it. these uh they're not just dis- they're dispensaries they're not pharmacies but whatever they are i would caregivers I, 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 they're I would, called caregivers i Chuck. would hope that <laughs> did you know that's the legal title oh, for, caregivers. The, for the marijuana thing caregivers well i would hope that all this would at least put because like the building blocks like i had was you know like beer cigarettes Cigarettes and beer, cigarettes, beer, weed, cigarettes, beer, weed, cocaine, cigarettes, beer, weed, cocaine, LSD, you know, and it built, you know, and then opiates and then heroin and all and meth and all that stuff. I'm hoping that this slows them down and puts something in their path. In their path that they can become obsessed with for two or three years. Smoke pot, (laughs) listen to Pink Floyd, black lights, strobe lights, um, do all that stuff. I mean, that worked for a couple years when I was younger. It kept me busy. And it made music sound really good. I'm not trying to sell it to anybody, but you know what it is? At least there was that. And you know what? And that allowed me to move forward, too, because it wasn't an all-day thing. It wasn't all-consuming. You know, you could do it and go do stuff. You get high and go play Frisbee golf, go surfing. Yeah, I used to get stoned. When I would try, I would use marijuana, because a friend of mine, JK, was a marijuana dealer, and he always gave me pot. A friend of Mike's, too. And Surprise. because JK loved me and wanted me not to be a heroin addict. So he would give me pot and say, just smoke pot, mom. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> people do okay. Yeah. This is in 1986 or something, no, right. right? And I was like, okay. Here you sell the pot and go buy heroin. Yeah, I would sell the pot. I would what sell the pot and go buy heroin. Oh, way to go. Most of the time I would sell the pot and go buy heroin. But sometimes I would smoke the pot and listen with headphones to Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks. Because mm-hmm. that some of those songs have like 17 acoustic guitars. And you have to be really stoned to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all slightly out of tune with each other. Because you can hear yeah. it. You can hear it come in and it'll just go, dinally, 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 like a little riff on acoustic guitar. And I'd be just like mind blown. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But, but there's another component to these to the population that I'm dealing with is they, they're not obsessed with Bob Dylan. They're not obsessed with surfing. They're not obsessed with the things that potheads are obsessed with. Do you understand? Well, because Pot they, n- they never were. Pot goes with an obsession. Pot goes with Pink Floyd. Right. Pot goes with 
you know, being a, you know, I hate right. to say it, it, it but it was music first. It was doing things, going places. It was sex, riding skateboards. Sex, it was the beach, was, skateboards, yeah, bike riding, all that pop. stuff. You'd get you get some weed and then do it. But it was like my my friend Brent said it. The, they don't the have other anything day. they want to do. He goes, "What happened?" He goes, "I don't even like the pot they have anymore." He goes, "I like the stuff we used to get when we were listening to like Ario Speedwagon. That stuff was fun because it didn't knock you the out. Storm out, waiting <laughs> you know, for the goes, fall out." And I go, "Yeah, I hear you. It's not some of it's narcotic and it's potency, but you just admitted to listening to Ario Speedwagon." Oh. I loved I loved Ario Speedwagon before they became such a big pop hit. Oh yeah, man. me too. Then the That's live what it was the, too, yeah. no the live album. <laughs> okay, yeah. it's called I forget what it's called, but it has a song called "Riding the Storm Out." Yeah, riding the storm out, waiting for the fall out. Well, they were they were a good rock band like Journey was, you know. Yeah, like, Journey, like Sticks was. You know what people don't yeah. know, realize about Journey? All the, and the reason why I think they're on our minds is because they all just played at Dodger Stadium yesterday. I don't know Fleetwood Mac. That. Eagles, Journey, uh, Doobie Brothers, and uh, Steely Dan all played Dodger Stadium last night. I didn't know that. And I did not go because I've seen all those different bands when they were good. (laughs) So so I don't need to be nostalgic about I would like to see Donald Fagan, though, just because his his Yeah, Walter Becker didn't come. He's sick with the flu. Really? Yeah. So people were streaming it, and I was watching a little bit of it. Steely Dan's one of my favorites. I saw them at Staples, uh, the little place, Nikia Theater. Oh, yeah, couple, Nikia's couple a cool years place. Ago. It's a good, good place. So anyways, all these bands, Journey is one that always comes up. Like, Journey. Like, people, they associate, like, is Journey going to let Steve Perry in the Hall of Fame thing? A journey with Steve Perry... Journey to me has nothing to do with Steve Perry. Right. It has <laughs> everything the, to do with Greg Raleigh. Yeah. Greg Raleigh, his name is. Yeah. Amazing musician. What people don't know, he played Woodstock when he was 19. He played keyboards for Santana. Just like uh, Neil Schoen, the guitar yeah. player. So you're talking about these guys that come from, from just soulful music like Santana in 1971. Greg Raleigh and Neil Schoen, and they formed this great band, and they made three great albums: um, Journey and and uh, another one that had On a Saturday Night, Everything Is All Right. I don't know the name. Look of Back the... Into the Future, I think it's called. Then the third album is called Next, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. It has one of my favorite lines of all time in my in. I have a love for heavy metal. But not like metal like people think of these days. Like, you know, Journey was heavy metal, Sammy Hager, Montrose, Aerosmith. That was heavy metal. They had a song on there on the next album, Journey. It goes, I swear to God, it goes, do do get be sad women, do 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 all men desire. women that all men desire <laughs> i want that life that these guys have get beside women all men desire and and when i was listening to, to journey and montrose and aerosmith and it changed my life forever i was stoned on pot yeah. <laughs> my life was changed by pot it was designed for that yeah right and so you know when i talk to parents like i Dying of heroin, you know, we're, we're taught to say it's all the same. I just don't think kids can do it because they have no passion. Pot comes with s- sort of like a passion, even if it's playing Call of Duty. 
You got to have something to do. And the kids I'm dealing with don't have any passion. That's part of the problem. Right. Well, that's because it's the straight to opiate crowd. That's that's what's crazy about them and that's what the the people that i talk to don't understand the older the older folks that i talk to the people my age that they don't understand and i have to tell them that they didn't go through the the kindergarten and the elementary school and the junior high of drug use they started in you know senior high school yeah. and they didn't have to jump through the hoops no, they didn't have to jump through the. That's hoops. why they don't have any game either. They don't have any <coughs> hustle. They don't know how to make money. They don't, and it's sad. Well, it, let's go through the traditional addict thing. I drank my first beer when I was fourteen, I think thirteen or fourteen. Six pack of Heineken. I went with two friends. They each had one. I had three and a half, and then threw up. It was awesome. Right? It's cool. Didn't drink again for another couple months, and we were over at some other kid's house, and we got some hard liquor and drank that and threw up. There's all these, there's all these rites of passage with alcohol and drug use. You need to learn how to, how to handle it, how to, how to still function, still do well in school. So then pot comes when I'm 16. And the pot I was smoking, I had really long hair. or like I, I've always had long hair. But... but the first or second time I smoked it, I remember a seed caught fire and popped and went in my hair and caught my hair on fire. And that did not deter me. No, hell no. No, I just started putting my hand kind of cupped over the bowl <laughs> so that the seeds couldn't pop and set my hair on fire. If your first, These are things you need to learn your first, as a teenager. Your first, harm, or your first harm reduction yeah. ever. This is things you need to bowl. learn as a kid. Yeah. Right? And then, you know... Oh, that weed that, that has all the seeds in it, it, it takes a lot to get stoned enough to listen to Rush 2112 and have it make sense to you. <laughs> but there's this other weed that comes on these buds. They talk about buds, right? <laughs> so we've got to understand that the world these kids are living in, they're taking heroin at 13 out of their grandma's medicine cabinet. Right. The pot they smoke is the ultra, 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 ultra bud. Right, it's better than it, it, they're the worst of their strains that they're getting out of there. There's no are learning our top about shelf it. stuff. There's no the learning. There's no. no learning. There's no experiencing. There's, There's no just going to is. the barrio and, and paying five dollars for a half of a plastic bag, cut a ten dollar plastic bag cut in half with scissors for five dollars worth of weed. <laughs> going, yeah. going into Santa Ana risking your life. That was fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, and we had fun. We go to Disneyland and yeah. take acid at Disneyland. Oh, all absolutely. that kind of stuff. Absolutely. You know, I, one time me and some friends we we just kept going on it's a small ride. It's and a it small was world, yeah. and and then you know how you can become a little paranoid like one of the girls when we were getting on for like the fourth time because we would just get off and go back in line yeah. and it was obvious that we were on acid <laughs> yeah she said something like you guys are really enjoying yourselves aren't you and i that pulled me oh, out of my fun thing yeah. like what and then i was so convinced on that fourth time through it's a small world that the cops were going to be meeting us at the thing <laughs> that i just left i just left disneyland you know, the, she had ruined my trip. Just by saying, well, yeah. you boys are really enjoying yourselves, <laughs> no, aren't no, yeah. you? You just bummed my trip, lady. I have yeah. to leave Disneyland now because the FBI is going to be here. I, right? I think I was 17 the last time I fried there. But we went with, the, my friend was a, was a dancer. And we went with a bunch of people that were that did ballet. And I wasn't, me and him were the only two bacon. And we weren't allowed to tell anybody else 
that we were. He goes, don't tell anybody. So it was just me and him knew. And you looking know how at each un- other, you're looking unfun at each that other. is to not be able to tell people because it's such a big feeling. You just it's want a, to share it with LSD everybody. LSD is a big feeling. It's That's, a huge. Chuck just invented a term. <laughs> LSD is a big feeling. <laughs> You can't. It's such a big feeling. You can't. It really is an outstanding big feeling. So, one time I went. I made the mistake because I did it probably five or six times because I lived in Huntington, uh, and there used to be nobody at Disneyland on weekdays. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you remember that. (laughs) You know, we would go after school. We'd take acid and go after school. So, uh, uh, strange thing. So I went. I made the mistake of being really high on LSD and going on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Oh, wow. And I became very nauseous, like as sometimes you can become on LSD. And I remember it turned, and I just projectile vomited out into the ride. Oh, no. And I could see the vomit, and it was rad. (laughs) (laughs) Was it it in one of the glowy parts, or was it it one of the steamy hot parts? Yeah, there was something something about the black lights that are in the Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And my state of consciousness that had been altered by Hoffman <laughs> and the vomiting, it was such a freeing experience. I tripped on that. I told everyone, dude, that was amazing. Right? That's so <laughs> so we're just giving you a little taste of what it's like to the, the rudimentaries of the basics of becoming eventually at 20. I would say I became a heroin addict about 25 maybe. 24 yeah 25 right i had experimented with it i would do it but i wasn't ready to sign up for it yeah, i don't think you think i did it till i was like 19 yeah i did it when i was 19 and 20 and 21 with top jimmy a few times and it just i i, I had two experiences one was i don't know that i can afford this and at the time i didn't know because you're really measuring things. I worked in a bookstore. Yeah, but you Top wanted Jimmy, to, you were looking at it. If I'm going to be a junkie, it's going to cost this much money. Most no, people. because what I learned years later was he was ripping me off. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Those was, little pieces, I was $4,000. Because at that time, a, a gram of coke cost $80, right? So wow. he told That's me to get a bag of heroin was $80, same as coke. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, and, and, you know, and he cut it in half, so I got half of it. So I'm figuring, God, I'm, this is $40 worth. It was actually $10 worth. I was just looking at the experience like, I don't know that I can afford this. It's a great experience, but <laughs> dollar for dollar, pound for pound. Coke is way better. <laughs> you can do Coke. You have the funnest time. You can be on Coke for... Uh, I used to be able to buy a gram of Coke and, and do like a third of it and still have two thirds of it the next day. And, be, you know, just put out a line and snort it and be like so happy and drinking gin and tonics with Mitch and Chris Hansen and Ooh. just like... It was fabulous. It was fabulous. (laughs) It was wonderful. So it was marvelous (laughs) that you should care for me. I felt like Bobby Short. I felt like a Gershwin musical, right? And the fact is, these kids that we're dealing with, 90% of them have never had good drug experiences. They never enjoyed it. They use it to deaden themselves to this hopeless state of life that they seem so confused by. I mean, I listen to them mm-hmm. talk. 
you know, because I say, didn't you ever have fun? Didn't you ever do anything fun? And they're like, no, it's never, no, no. no oh, I, I need to stop. I need to stop. That, that's, and that's you know that they're friends. not going to stop. And they've never had fun doing it. Right. And they're going to die. And you're constantly in this situation, Monday through Friday, I'm in this situation seven, eight times a day with a kid that I know might be next in Middleton, Ohio, might be next in New Jersey, might be next, might be the next dad that calls me, right? Says, right. you know, here's what they say. I've, I've had that call from dads mostly uh, over the last two years, and they always say, well, something to the effect of, well, so-and-so lost his battle with, with, with addiction. Or they say, well, he's at peace now. No, they're not. They're, they're not dead. a piece. Yeah, they're dead. And they're not, no. Fuck that. They shouldn't die. And so yeah. we need to have an open mind. If, if I'm open to, uh, if Suboxone will help it, then okay, let's talk about that. I'm open to, I really like naltrexone implants. I really like that. Well, but, I like the injections for, sh for sure. The naltrexone, uh, no, no. What the implants are more dependable. You also believe in, in pee cups. I don't believe in pee cups anymore. I only believe in blood. I want to see the fucking needle go into their vein, get their blood out, and see what's in their bloodstream. I don't believe urine tests anymore. Because hmm. it's all a racket. I, I don't... I just, it is if you're sending it out to the lab, it is. It's absolutely. too corrupt a system. Absolutely. Right? And I've had really, like those adults I'm talking about, I've had 45-year-old school teachers test positive for a drug they've never done. And the lab quantifies it and says, yes, it was in there. It's bullshit. But I, I want to see blood. Blood don't lie. Blood, let's do it. Yeah. It costs $145 at LabCorp. $145 to draw blood and see what's in their bloodstream. You don't need a fucking $10,000 drug test. You need blood, drawn, quantified, let's see it, what's in there, right? And so I, I'm up for naltrexone implants, suboxone, marijuana, whatever will help these kids bridge from the age of 18, 19, 20, 22 to 32. Because I see when they turn, when, when, when you've had 12 or 14 years of adult life experience, you have the nuts and bolts of why somebody gets sober. But when you're 19 or 20 or 22, you don't. Right. Well, the naltrexone, the, in, the injections, the 30-day injections are, are great. I, I've seen those be successful. And, you know, talk to people. Find out how many times they've done the implants because I've also seen a lot of... Um, infections problems people see the money and want to do the implants and know they can make a lot of money doing the implants so there's a lot of shysters out there doing can i say shysters yeah shysters a lot of shysters doing Might the implants that term. don't know how to do it i've <laughs> seen them put them right here on the on the belt line bad place yeah, to bad put place. A, a, you know put them under put under them in the bad arm places. up here up here i've in seen the them put them in bad places but there's a 30-day injection that's extremely effective because it it, it not only helps because it's an agonist and an antagonist so it it's not only an opiate blocker and what's the what's the retail name of that uh gosh naltrexone it's is not vivitrol vivitrol is no that's not very effective vivitrol yeah vivitrol vivitrol works no absolutely i've had every client in the world on it they use anyways how 
It's it's an opiate. It's an opiate. Doesn't matter blocker. how you can. Yeah, you can smoke coke. You can smoke weed. You can drink. You can do oh, all yeah. those no, things. Oh yeah, no, you can do other drugs. And then drugs once that, your metabolism gets going, it breaks through that. So no, you're it talking doesn't. about Vivitrol. No, it doesn't because what, I've seen it. No, Chuck. because they'll overdose before. Because no, because the. The antagonists, the opiate blockers, have a higher affinity for the opiate receptors that last than opiate. Thirty days from a nine hundred dollar injection. I don't believe it. Yeah. No. I, I, I've I've watched I've watched them week, be successful with it. Week I, three, if you start smoking crack, and you do heroin, you're going to feel it. I've seen it in my sober living. I've seen it in my sober living. Well, I, I would, it's saying I it's be in the last twenty eight days, but, but thirty days. So so you know three weeks. And if they believe that fourth week is going to be effective, all it does is help them walk through. It helps them get through that two clicks between I want to get loaded and I'm not going to get loaded. All it is, it's, it, you know, it's not even the equivalent of antabuse, but at least it's something. It's a tool they can use to help them get through the rough patches. I'm, I'm up for it, but I've just seen it be less than effective. We actually did the experimental, the drug testing on Vivitrol at Los Encinas Hospital in 2005, I think. And... It was because so I got to see all the research that went through the hospital and it was very ineffective in cravings. The drug companies lied about that. It was initially for cocaine addiction. That's what they were testing it for to reduce cocaine cravings. That's why Vivitrol was designed. If you go back and look it up, then they realized you put a yeah, you put you put whatever it is, the antagonist that you're talking about, right? Mix, put it in there. Right. Because it wasn't in the Vivitrol. I don't oh, believe. Oh, see, see that's uh, probably the, it uh, probably stops, probably stops, stops hair loss now and gives people boners, so they'll probably find another way well, to sell it. Well, that's the greatest thing. Viagra, you know the story of that. It was supposed to be a blood pressure medicine. It was being tested as a blood pressure medicine. And everybody got boners? And, exactly. In the research, <laughs> they started seeing yeah. all these adverse reactions, they call it. And so one of the guys at the drug company is like, I don't know that this is an adverse reaction. <laughs> hey, you know there might be a market for this. <laughs> there just might be some people that want that adverse reaction. <laughs> and so thus it was born and into the world, actually, the most prescribed drug in the world. Yeah. Viagra. So, but getting back to it, let's not go down a rabbit's hole about Vivitrol. Vivitrol works fine. I, I don't believe any one thing works for any, every individual. So we need to find multiple solutions. Everybody needs to be open-minded. And I'm telling you, if I can take a kid who's had, who's been shot up to be revived three times from a benzo opiate combination overdose death, and he'll only smoke pot, I'm all for pot. Right. That's the truth. And if we it need gets to them to where they need to go, that's what we've been talking right? about. That's been my whole change of, man, you know. And this has only been the last year you've changed about this? Well, it has to do with who I hang out with. And when I hang out with free-thinking people. <laughs> like Jack when and I, me. <laughs> when I hang out with open-minded people, we'll see with with. With Jack, we don't talk about, I don't talk about this sort of stuff with him. This isn't his passion as much as it is, you know, being involved in other things. And he's seeing it from a totally different angle. So being in treatment, he's not involved in treatment. Let's just put it that way. Here's so being the interesting in treatment, take, getting back to, to Jack, because we had a great show with him. And I always think, into, I, have, I have, you know, most people have left brain, right brain. I have 12-step brain, re, other Bob brain. Right. And so here's an interesting thing. And I've 
I have evolved in my belief about this. My original idea was people on Suboxone are not sober, right? And I was very adamant about it in 2005, 2007, 2008, very absolute about it because I was old enough to have been in NA when old guys would say they were sober 28 years, but they were still on methadone. But they shared about that. Yeah, I've been on, I've been on the program since, you know, because I had to catch on to the lingo of the San Fernando Valley wood bro NA lingo, right? And so they'd say, <laughs> I've, been on, I've been on the program. The program meant methadone program, yeah, right? For the whole time or whatever, but they considered themselves sober. So, but they shared about it that they were on methadone. They didn't hide it. Like they the didn't hide it like the Suboxone people do. Right. So here's an interesting thing. I think there's a lot of people taking a lot of stuff at this point. We are a pharmaceutical wonderland in America. I don't know who's sober anymore. I suspect that there are people in the 12-step world that have, I think of as sober and outstanding members of AA that are on benzos. I, I have a, ton, a feeling yeah. there are an amazing amount of people who are great examples of sobriety who are on pot. I really believe that. You can usually tell them, dude. You no, they're dude. not stoned at meetings, <laughs> but they once in a while smoke weed. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure told, there are. I'm sure told, there are. They've told pe- me that. People hold that out, you know, and that's okay. And if that works so for here's fantastic. the thing. I don't need to worry who's sober. I just need to do what I consider to be sober and share my experience, strength, and hope that I don't take anything. I don't take antidepressants, though I suffer depression. I don't take anything. I don't take anything. I'm 56 years old. I, I have all kinds of problems. I don't take anything. I don't trust doctors at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Not at fucking all. No kidding. And I don't go to them, and I don't need their advice. If I get hit by a car, okay, I'm obviously going to go to a hospital. If I have a massive coronary heart attack, of course I'm going to go to a doctor. But all the bullshit of life, I am not going to go see a doctor. Mm-hmm. At this point in American medical history, I don't trust them. I think they're just a bunch of pill pushers. I don't think they do accurate diagnoses. They told my sponsor in November of 2000 that she had uh, pneumonia. Four months later, when the pneumonia didn't go away, they told her, oh, you have lung cancer. Little, I don't fucking <laughs> trust them. Yeah, well. They leave instruments in people. People get MRSA at hospitals constantly. It's crazy. So I don't go to doctors. Right. Right? I don't need to be in a hospital unless I'm dying. Right? No, yeah. And, and that's yeah. the truth of it. So, so I wish we could impress young. That, that's my own sobriety. So I don't take nothing. Though I probably should be on like three things. <laughs> <laughs> at least. <laughs> At least the, that would be good to for take you. The edge off. That, that actually have a psychological, yeah. chemical balancing, yeah. not just suboxone because I want to feel loaded, you know. And that's you know, but that's been a, uh, a hard thing for me to come to grips with because in the twelve step world, it's I'm showing them what I did, the way I do it. In treatment, it's looking at the person and saying. You know, like for one guy, you know what, dude, just the fact you went to a meeting this week, that's fantastic. I'm glad you went to a meeting when there's another guy where I go, you know what, dude, 
you only went to four this week. You should be doing five or six because that fits where they go and it fits their personality and not saying I did it like this. So you have to, but looking at the individuals and looking at my caseload and seeing how they're That's all different. Share, well, but it's even better just to share uh, how many meetings you go to. I don't like telling people what meetings. Uh, you know, it's all, it's all suggested. Anyhow, but, even as a case manager, it's suggested. I don't tell them. I'm not going to tell I, you what to do. But I always say, first couple of years I went every day. What else did I have to do? I was a fucking loser. Right? Where, where do you have to be? <laughs> where, where do you have to be? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because but there's some shame. There's there's some obvious shame when there's one guy that's only doing one a week because he's not comfortable around people. Well, that's his fucking or, problem or whatever. And so, yeah, but you know what? Hey, man, do one and dig it. Move forward. Don't let other people bring you down. Well, but that's that person's individual journey, and if they want to ask, I'll talk to them about it. Like you know, I always get the atheist because I'm an atheist, right? So. I always say, what, you know, and they say all the reasons why they don't like it. And I was like, listen, I don't care about the reasons. You, the, you know, and this is something Gloria, who got the pneumonia diagnosis and then lung cancer, she used to say, who cares what you don't like? What do you like? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd be like, I was stumped because I knew a bunch of shit I didn't like. But I didn't like verbalizing things I did like. I did like being around people. I did like hearing similar stories to mine. I did like the hope that other musicians that I respected who had long-term sobriety, like Mike, um, were there. Like, I liked that. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a couple years sober, I went to a meeting in Long Beach and Mike and an old friend of ours were there and I just felt like, I like this. I don't like the God stuff. I don't really want need somebody ruining over me in this sponsor role. I don't find great, profound, you know, language in the steps. I think it's very commonsensical. It's all shit I learned in kindergarten. It's not profound to me. Maybe it's just my, I went to Catholic school. I had good parents. I know those things. Be honest. Right. Be forgiving. You know, be, be courageous. Stand up all right and be strong. Right? That's not, it. maybe, you know, the people who proselytize the steps so much, maybe it's the first time they ever heard, heard those ideas. <laughs> you know, we don't know where they came from, so could be, could be, but. <laughs> they came from Christianity. We know that. We know, we know it came from the book of James. Yeah. It, and, but, but I'm more interested in the stuff that Bill Wilson was reading. So I read Varieties of Religious Experience. I read Sermon on the Mount, an amazing book, Emmett Fox. Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. where many of the more open-minded ideas of AA spirituality comes from Emmett Fox, right? Right. And so, so there's a lot of stuff about it I like. But if I just focus on the stuff I don't like, the God, the overemphasis of the profundity of the steps, the sponsor role being this on high Moses type character, I'll just only focus on the negative. So when atheists come to me, I share that with them. Like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. I'm an atheist. Yeah, I don't think there's any Santa Claus in the sky that cares whether you do heroin or not. That's so refreshing for them to hear mm -hmm. because they're hearing so many contra contrary to that idea things. And then I say, but what's most important about being a part of it is to focus on the things you do like about it and yeah. emphasize that and be disciplined about that, right? So I, you know, I, I tend to like to go to meetings, uh, especially, you know, early on where it wasn't people like me. 
It wasn't a bunch of rock stars and fucking phony baloney silver leg people because that's what I was in my own mind. I was a dishwasher, but I thought of myself as a rock star. <laughs> you worked at Millie's. <laughs> I worked at Millie's, <laughs> but I was a rock star. So, so that's why when I would be around real successful musicians at Tropical, I would hate it. I would hate it because they truly were successful musicians mm. and I was not. And I was just... It, forced me to confront that so i went and found some meetings that you wouldn't think bob forrest would like i went to an all catholic priests meeting to father terry invited me you want to you want to come to my monday night meeting i i loved it i went every monday night for like eight ten years right bunch yeah. of old catholic priests Have it fun. was refreshing to me to know that they drank too <laughs> <laughs> You know, though, I, I have to, you said something, and I have to I have to chime in there, because that that is like my my home group. It's on the beach, and we're all very different people. But you know what? I like being there. People go, man, you go every week? It's, it's every, fun. It's every Sunday. I get I like happy it. as soon as I get near down. The, well, first of all, you're at the beach, so it's hard to go wrong there. But then secondly, to see the people and to see the faces, there's something just... I don't know. It's one of the few places I really feel welcome and cared for, and and I care about the people there in a weird way. I, I you don't get that experience very many places. And here's a, here's another tidbit that Gloria Scott told me. I would tell her these shares that I heard that I disagreed with, that I hated. This guy's an idiot, and I would over and over again for years. And she would always say the same thing: tune it out. And I would be like, well, why even go? And she goes, well, is that the only person who shared at that meeting, the guy yeah. you keep telling me about? And I was like, well, no. And she'd say, what did you hear that you did identify with? What did you hear that you did like? Start focusing on that. Tune out the stuff you don't like. Tune into the stuff you do like. And try to integrate that into your recovery. Greatest advice, but see, I ever but got. you you were able to hear that advice too and act on it. You were at a time where you could hear that advice and act on it. That's a huge part of the puzzle. Is that you know? Uh, well, I think you're told contrary things. You need to be around people you disagree with to learn how to tolerate. No, you don't. No, you don't. I don't have a lot of Trumper friends. I don't go to dinner with them. No, in life, you kind of stick to your kind of like-minded right. people. Right. Right? Most of my friends are musicians, uh, anti-authority. Um, you know, that's just your tribe. Right. right? I don't I need don't to live need in to an echo chamber. I don't need to go hang out with but. people. No, I don't want to live in an echo chamber. I do have Republican friends that I respect. But for the most part, I'm talking about the the nonsensical, non-reality-based oh, no. Trumpers. I think no, I don't I, I, have I, any friends like I that. I think you're right. That's the difference between me young. It was me and my friends all hated the same stuff. And now me and my friends all enjoy or care about the same things. That's my people that I'm close to, the people I see on a regular basis. We, have, we share a lot of the same ideals. I'm comfortable there. Yeah. I and, like it. And as you evolve along in the thing, young young people right now trying to get sober should try to identify with things that they like and listen to things that they like and integrate those things that they like because it will change. Right? Right. When I was 46 and my son was grown and I didn't have a relationship and I lived in my on my own, I was more attuned to 46-year-old guys who were contemplating suicide like me, who were going through depression, who thought their lives were over. I tuned in on that and, and tried to 
I see myself in that and then talk to them about our feelings about that, right? The, kid, the people that were talking about their kids and how great their lives were, I, my life was not great and I didn't have kids. <laughs> so what did I do? I, you got I kids. Got kids. <laughs> Boy kids. Boys and girls. Sons. And a girl. So to speak. And a girl. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh. So, so anyways, girl kid. I really want to help everyone <laughs> to, talk to, their, to talk to their loved ones. Like, just we need an education, junkie to junkie. We need an education, sober person to high person we need love we need compassion we need kids to stop dying and it's up to every one of us who are sober it's up to every one of us who care to try to help these young people that are really not getting the message for whatever reason i believe and chuck believes they just didn't learn how to be drug addicts in in the nutshell that's what i truly believe they are not drug addicts the way that i was I was concerned. I, every time I left a rehab, I never, ever, not one time, I left rehab 25 times. I never shot the heroin the first time going back because I didn't want to die. And no matter how much I hated the rehab or I felt abandoned or everything is fucked, I still only smoked it for a day or two. Yeah. To build your tolerance until you can, and I was very careful. Th that's just something you learn in the 11 years it takes to become a drug addict like that. Right. These and kids have not had the 11 years experience and, and or the joy of life. You got to understand, I had a lot of joy at 19 and 20 and 22 and 24 and 26. There's a lot of fun, a lot of wonderful stuff happened. On drugs. Right. No, yeah, absolutely. And so I didn't want to die. And, and we've got to help encourage young people. Like, listen, if, you, if you, your life has sucked thus far and you're 19, it's time to fucking focus on having fun. And, it and shouldn't loving life. when you're 19 it shouldn't be all doom and gloom for god's <laughs> sake that's probably one of the most freewheeling times you see it all the time, i know right? it's it's really sad it's really so really we sad need to love our young people and call them on their bullshit and try to educate them and try to get the whole thing going in a way better direction because this thing is not stopping I, I really believed in 2000, the 2016 results just came out a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I thought 2016, after all the awareness and all the focus of government programs and everybody kind of realizing too many people are dying from drugs, that that, that number would peak. And it went up 19%. That's mm -hmm. unacceptable. Yeah, It can't keep going up 19% every year. At this point, I did a guesstimate. If it continues the way that it's gone, pretty much it's not absolute math science, but just my general ballpark, a million people are going to be dead of drugs by 2025. And I don't see how anybody working in a rehab center or anybody profiting off of the treatment of drug addicts or any government officials or any parents or any schools or any city councilors, uh, city council members, can say, hey, we're doing a good job. No, and, and you know, it's gotten to the point where I've heard some some of my uh, more on the fringe friends say things like, it's almost like it's a, a a plot, you know, an extermination plot. 
it's a good way. That's to be your stone friends. Well, that. you know, I, I, I'll just say they're a little out there. They're not my, I don't have them at my house friends, but I speak to them. I know. And, those are old dudes who smoke weed in downtown Huntington. But uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that, that they've got this, this hard line on the, they're the conspiracy theorists and the whole idea that, you know, population control and it's working really well. And that's why the, the, the government didn't stop big pharma and that's why there's been money made and there's money that goes I think between it's the companies the money. And, I, don't, I don't think it, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I like I, to think it's just greed I'd I like just to think people that. too much like you can't keep a secret inside felonious monster it's five people yeah but those <laughs> five or six or seven however many at the time you crazy people conspiracy. the whole 9-11 conspiracy i was like so bush is in on it and the cia and the fucking oh there's government no and way the there's, yeah. and, the, and the saudis <laughs> and everybody's in on it but nobody has said anything no i love listening i love i'll let them run their shit out i love the conspiracy theorists i'll let them roll it all out for me because i'm willing to change my mind if you've got a good argument on anything no I but i haven't heard a good one yet i think it's death for profit and it comes from the doctors. And, that's, that, and the doctors can new. change it, and they don't. Big Pharma is just a, it's just a manufacturing building. Right. Without someone to peddle the pills, they're just pills. The doctors in America have let the American public down. That's it. End of Shame story. on them. All right. So peace out, <laughs> brother. I'm sure you can Late. send some emails to whatever it is, don't die podcast email or whatever. <laughs> and if you're a doctor and you wanna you wanna put me in my place, you know, come on. I'd like to debate some doctors. Be yeah, good. They're smart, I've heard. Yeah, they're super smart. Not so uh, good with people, but not smart. street smart. Not street smart. <laughs> not street smart. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna meet the Keck president, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, the dude's smoking math and I, taking ecstasy we'll be able to get a hold of him pretty he's soon he's 66 years old that's a baller right there that's, fucking, that's rock and roll that is rock, <laughs> that is and, roll. rock and roll see you later you guys Bye. hey this is bob and you can get a hold of aloe treatment centers at 888-595-0235 that's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. <laughs>